Executive ECU, do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome into this edition of Hoist the Colors. It is Tuesday. It's October 3rd. It is a bye week for East Carolina football, but we still got quite a lot to talk about. It is a Tuesday show. We actually are going live at 12 noon today. Live on YouTube, live on Facebook, live on Twitter, slash X. We're live on the IBX Media app if you have not downloaded it yet. Can't tell you enough to go ahead to your app store, download that. You can not only listen to this show, You can not only listen to this podcast version of this show, but you can also listen to any ECU football game, baseball, basketball, on the go with the IBX Media app. Listen to the Patrick Johnson Show, the Logan Zone, Talk of the Town, anything in the Interbanks Media family. So definitely download that when you get a chance, if you have not already. Okay, so we did uh, quite a bit of, of review on Monday's show. We dove into many of the issues against Rice. ECU coming off a 24-17 loss to Rice. But we have not yet gotten the uh, the viewpoint of Joseph Sampson, the East Carolina former tight end, former defensive lineman. He's played just about every position. He was with the Pirates from 2019 through 2022, still close uh, with, with several members of the team now. And so, Joe, I know this was painful like it was for everybody uh, watching this one Saturday unfold. Just let's get your overall thoughts on ECU's frustrating 24-17 loss to the Rice House. I think the first thing you kind of have to look at is there's nothing tougher than the close loss because it is in your grasp. And you played the way you were supposed to play. You did everything you had to do. You just couldn't pull it out in the end. And, and that's why, I mean – you, you spoke to it, and it was off air, but Coach Houston just looks dejected after that because those are the ones that stick with you, are the ones that are right there. You have the chance with the ball in the end. You get the ball back three times within two minutes, which is just a stellar showing of our defense to force them to not only get backed up behind the sticks but also punt the ball away three times. And it, it just hurts. It hurts a ton because you knew your game plan going in was solid. You knew you had a chance. You just couldn't pull it out. It's it's just frustrating. Coach Houston said last night that he's watched the game six times. We had him on the coaches show from tiebreakers. Of course, he's frustrated. Uh, I went back and I've watched bits and pieces of the game, kind of the key plays. And Joe, it's just such a fine line, man, between winning and losing. And you know, if one or two of these plays we, we're going to talk about today, or just that we've already talked about, are made like. Yeah, maybe there's a little bit of concern, but everybody's happy and nobody is just dejected and down right now. But when you don't make those plays, it just changes everything. It changes the entire vibe. So it it always kind of boggles my mind. Hey, if a block is made here, if a catch is made here, ECU probably wins the game. Instead, they lose and everybody is, uh, quite frankly, mad. And, uh, and they should be. I get that. But that's just, that's sports, man. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I share in everyone's frustrations, and obviously I'm a homer, so I always think the Pirates have a chance. But when you go back and you look at it, there really are two or three plays that if they go one way or another or a ball is an inch shorter or somebody's hands are an inch closer together, all of a sudden you're up two scores with them trying to go down and score, and it's an opportunity to play the game differently and milk the clock a little bit more than what you had to do, which was try and get a bunch of chunk plays in a short amount of time. 
And when you're limited in that kind of situation, your play sheet really does go extremely small. And I credit Coach Kirkpatrick, actually, towards the end. He did a good job at knowing how to get to the sideline and, and get the guys the ball, except for the fourth down call where Shane Calhoun gets held. We'll get to that one later when Chase Soul gets absolutely baptized before the first yard marker. But that's the way the game goes, and you try and put the ball in playmakers' hands and get a chance to go down there and win it. And it hurts, especially after a loss. It's easy to correct anything after a win. When you go in and you're like, okay, we could have had this touchdown, could have had that touchdown, but you win by two. You're like, we still won. Like, move on to it and do it the next day. But when you lose by a touchdown and that's the one you needed, it, it hurts for a while. What is it like being a part of the team film breakdown, like when y'all are breaking down games after losses like this? Like, is it – are these plays, are they stressed in front of the entire team? And then if, like, you're the player getting called out, like, what is that, you know, what is that like? I don't know. Like, that has to be tough because if you're the coaching staff, you got to emphasize, hey, we can't make these mistakes. Clearly the players know they can't make the mistakes, but you got to point it out on film. So what is that kind of the mood mood like with the team when that's happening after a game like this? Not to reveal secrets by any means, uh, special teams is usually all within the whole team, especially if it's field goal, field goal block, punt, punt block. Any of those core four units you're kind of watching together because there's so many different parts of the team that are on that. But when you get to the offensive side of the ball, usually it's your position meeting and you've kind of broke down everything that you need to talk about and correct and you're watching it all the way through and you get your grade out sheet with your pluses and minus and your percentage. Uh, Coach Scott was actually one who used to show all of the positive plays first and, and kind of remind us that even though we had a bad game or a down game, we were still able to do some things that were positive and put us in a good position to win. And then you got to correct the bad stuff and flush it. And uh, Jack Powers now, Shane Calhoun, all these guys are mentioning the 24-hour rule, and it's alive and well. It's a little different on a bye week, and that's its own monster, and we'll get into that here shortly. But when you have a game like that, you have to flush it. And today, you got to be a whole new person and forget what happened at Rice on Saturday. But defensively, when you watch it as a whole unit, yeah, you're you're getting called out. This who's going to make this tackle? Who's going to make that tackle? We were playing, I think it was Navy two years ago at Navy, and uh, one of the B backs got to the sideline, and Coach Tesh pauses the video and goes, "Who's going to make this tackle?" And it's just who God. There's nobody out there to make that tackle. That's that's our only saving grace right now is God on the sideline. And lucky for us, we were able to pull that game out. But it's a completely different vibe when you lose. Yeah, it's uh, I, I can't imagine. And just you know, being with, being with Coach Houston last night, he takes these losses very hard, and you can tell it's it's hit him. And and the worst part about it is, man, going into a bye week, it's got to just be the the worst as well, Joe, because like you just have to sit on it. And maybe there's some positive that can come out of it and that, you know, you really emphasize the things you need to improve, whereas maybe if you win this game, I mean, obviously you're always going to take a win over a loss. I'm not saying you don't eat with a loss, but these things are glaring. They need to be fixed, and you're running out of time to fix them. I mean, really the time has passed to fix these drops, the missed blocks, that sort of stuff. So maybe this is their last chance kind of going into this bot to really fix things, especially offensively. Find the issues, really dive deep into what's causing them, and try and fix them if it is possible. So maybe that's the one bright side of this is you really peel back the layers of all this and you find a way to to get it fixed before your season is, is completely lost. If, if there is any time for you to 
decide how to change things. It is the bye week. You get an opportunity to look a lot more in depth at the little stuff that you've been glossing over because of the quick weeks where you try and turn things around. And now with SMU, you get a chance with 13 days away. I think it might be 12 at this point as we speak. A chance to kind of separate yourself and, and reset and start to build that game plan differently and see what works and what doesn't, considering you had such a tough time against Rice in certain aspects. And historically, we've seen just how the battle goes with SMU is always high-powered and touchdown after touchdown, and the defenses seem to either get left on the plane or the bus at the airport. So the offense needs to step up for sure in, in this kind of battle, but SMU is not the SMU of old. But you really do have the chance to reset things, understand this concept doesn't work. We have to get out of this. When we see this look, we've got to put in this check. Defensively, here's what worked. Here's the pressures that didn't. Here's what we need to disguise. It's it's almost like you're back in training camp with a chance to reset everything and kind of polish what was working and throw out what didn't. Joe Sampson is with us, former ECU football player. It is a Tuesday. We're live because there is no Mike Houston press conference today. We will talk to Coach Houston tomorrow and the coordinators after practice. So, Joe, I mean, I dove into the numbers and watching the film from an offensive standpoint. I mean, let's be real. Look, I'm not trying to turn this into an offense versus defense thing, but the offense is the story. The defense at, at this point has played well enough to win most of the games on the schedule this year. That's just the reality of the situation. And I know they gave up some plays. You know, they missed a big sack on a corner blitz that could have stopped a touchdown drive. They had a, a pass interference, a questionable one that kept alive a, a Mitchell tr- touchdown drive. And they also gave up a touchdown right after the offense tied the game. And so you, you do want to have those plays back. But if you find a way to to just score – uh, another touchdown or two. This this record that ECU sits at with one of four is potentially three and two right now uh, if the offense is better. So that's kind of the story. So I went back and I watched the game, looked at the numbers from Pro Football Focus. Seven drop passes, which is just uh, an astronomical number. You know, usually you have one or two a game. You know, it just happens. But seven is incredible. You had Alex Flynn being pressured on 50% of dropbacks. And so, look, Alex made some bad mistakes. You know, he should have thrown the ball that ended up an interception. We can talk about that play as well. There were a couple missed blocks there that led to the throw and the interception. But overall, probably still shouldn't have thrown it. He also uh, made a couple of misreads in the RPO game, which is hard to be 100% accurate there. But I don't think Alex Flynn is a problem when you look at this offense right now. What's your assessment? I mean, can you can any quarterback succeed with seven drops and being pressured 50% of the time? I think everything that Flynn is doing is exactly what would happen in any other scenario, no matter who's under center. And that's when you have seven drops, you're limited to seven opportunities to get a first down, to get a touchdown. The Brock Spaulding one we, we mentioned in the back of the end zone, uh, the Shane Calhoun one on the fourth down on the 50-50 ball, the one on the end of the game technically is an incompletion also. Those are game-changing plays, and that's no slight on anybody making those plays. But when you don't come down with those as a quarterback, you don't want to play hero ball. And Flynn is very calm, level-headed. He doesn't get flustered, never gets high, never gets low. So he tries to play as even keel as possible. But when you have to play hero ball and get away from your game, you're a completely different quarterback, and it's very hard to do those things throwing from your back, never mind trying to throw outside the pocket, which is in his M.O., and he did a good job at looking mobile and kind of throwing across his body a couple times and giving them a chance. And I need to address the, the screen interception. Everybody's going to say you can't throw that. Screens are what we call in the business feast or famine. When they bring a blitz like that, 
either it's going 85 yards to the house or it's dying in the backfield. That's the risk you take. It's a 50-50 shot. And when Rice, who's brought so much pressure over the last three quarters, when we call it, all of a sudden brings the pressure. You're like, okay, your eyes open up. You're like, this is the play to do it. And the O-line just couldn't get out there in front. And it winds up being a pick, either a pick six or at the three, I think it was. I don't remember off the top of my head. That's the play you want back, and that's the one you look at the box score. But everything leading up to that is not one interception. Yeah, the right. So the right guard, they were in man coverage, and they were trying to throw the the ball to Javius Bond. And the right guard tried to block the middle linebacker, couldn't get to him. Essentially, if he just gets his hands on him, it's probably a probably a touchdown. At least a play inside the ten yard line. I mean, there's nobody in front of him. But like you said, feast or famine. And it's just it makes it frustrating um, when you to me you have a play drawn up. We we've been calling for more screens, more throws to Javius Bond, and you finally dial one up and it gets picked. I mean it's just you know and even to the quarterback draw, I'm not a huge fan of the draw, uh, especially with Flynn as the quarterback. I'll be honest, but I mean there, there are yards to be made there if you make blocks. So like I, you know some of this is execution, some of it is play calling, but I. I think Joe, everybody's got to look in the mirror. When the offense, when the offensive numbers are this bad, you got drops, you got missed throws, or you know poor decisions. You probably got the players not being put in the best position to succeed uh, all the time. And uh, when the numbers are what they are, twelve points per game against FPS competition in terms of numbers scored by the offense, taking away the defensive scores. I think everybody has to look in the mirror. Players, coaches, everybody. I mean, I think it's a, a a wholesale problem right now, and they all have to ask themselves during this bye week, you know, what do we have to do better to uh, to fix these issues? And I think there's there's blame to go around everywhere. Uh, you know, do, do you feel like the the you know the players may feel that way that they have to be better at this point too, along with the coaches? Mike Houston has a strong philosophy on this, and he says all fingers in this program point inward. We don't blame anybody. We don't blame other people. We don't call coaches out publicly. We don't call players out publicly. And he's done a very good job at that over the last five years at weathering a lot of different storms. I mean, they wanted Holton Hailers to move to tight end, and now he's the leading passer in ECU school history. So riddle me that one. But when you get into these kinds of things, it appears the personnel that has been put on the field this year is not the personnel of old that can run the plays that have worked in the past. And that's understandable. And you have a different team and a different mindset and a different build. You have to find a way to get certain guys in certain spots and they don't seem to be as open as they were last year. And I don't know if that's a change in coverages or just a change in looks off of tape, but so many guys seem to be kind of held up in what they like to do or want to do. And that comes down to the coaching and understanding the game plan and where your ball is supposed to go and the personnel behind it. How much do you feel like, too, the the turnover with the coaching staff, like losing Latrell Scott, Chris Foster the first day of spring ball, and new offensive line coach? I'm not saying that these coaches aren't good. It's just you have so many moving parts, and we, we, we take that stuff for granted, I feel like. And all of a sudden you got a new O-line coach, you got receivers coach working with this offensive staff for the first time in Darrell Roberts. You got Raquan Boyette going from receivers to uh, running backs. You got Aaron Hour, who I, I know is a very bright mind, but it's his first time having his own room. Like 
How much is just all that moving part still kind of leading to some of the stuff too offensively? Oh, it, it's definitely a factor. And when you look at when Coach Scott first got here and Coach Foster, the offense hit a lull before it found its stride. And we're measuring it at its peak last year when we knew personnel and Ryan Jones had been here for two years and Isaiah Winstead came over with previous experience to Coach Scott. So Scott knew how to get him the ball. And that's the first thing you need to realize is, yeah, this is a completely new staff. I mean, the offensive system may be the same, but... The offensive line coach has different terminology. Aaron Hours trying to pick up where Scott left off, and Latrell Scott's doing great things with the running backs now at Maryland. Chris Foster was an unbelievable running backs coach, and that group is great, and Boyette's trying to pick up where he left off. And I mean, all these different things do play a factor as far as play calling and game planning and knowing your personnel in the room. I mean, Chase Soul was at Colorado last year. You can't figure out what his strengths are until you get into these games between the white lines. So... You can look at it and kind of go back and forth and say this is the end-all, be-all, but it's definitely a factor, but not the only one. All right, he's Joe Sampson. I'm Stephen Igo. Let's get our first break in. We'll come back. We'll talk about which of these things are fixable going forward from an offensive perspective and maybe dive into a few more of the plays, specifically on the uh, first and goal from the three sequence where ECU could not score coming out of the half. We'll talk about that. And more on the other side. This is Hoist the Colors on a Tuesday with Joe Sampson. We'll be right back. Everything you need to know in the world of ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Okay, welcome back into the show. Tuesday, October 3rd edition of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. And yesterday we had such a busy show. We didn't have time to get to our East Coast Agency Pirate of the Week, so we're going to do that here. And it's going to be Chase Sowell, the East Carolina redshirt freshman receiver. He is going to be our East Coast Agency Pirate of the Week. Chase had his best game as an ECU Pirate. Seven catches for 88 yards, 12.6 yards per catch, and that's not including the game-tying two-point conversion. Chase Sowell, the transfer from Colorado, great day. At, uh, and really still some plays to be, to be made out there as well. So he could have had over 100 yards, uh, but still very early in his career, 15 catches, 148 yards through the first five games at East Carolina. Great day by Chase Sowell, including that crucial two point conversion to tie the game there in the fourth period. All right. East Coast Agency brings to you our Pirate of the Week. Are you prepared for the unpredictable hurricane season is here, but don't worry. They'll get you covered at ECA. When the storm clouds gather, ECA's insurance programs are your umbrella of protection. From home, auto, or your business, ECA's tailored plans will shield you from what matters most. It doesn't matter who your agent is until it does. Call the team at ECA today at 911-446-5061 or visit their website at www.eca-insure.com. Uh, that number again, 910-446-5061 for East Coast Agency. Appreciate Tim Bleat and his support of the program. And Joe, as we bring him back in, Joe Sampson, how about the emergence of Chase Sowell? We talked about it a little bit in segment one, but each year we kind of have that go-to receiver at ECU. And, and you know, Jalen Johnson, just how happy we've seen to make some plays at times, but it feels like Chase is starting to kind of emerge as a, that potential option. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it early in the offseason. We are like, I, if he can be the guy, ECU's offense will be fine. 
And we're starting to see what it looks like when he can be the guy to go to on fourth down on the contested catch on the two-point conversion, which that's a grown man catch. And when I what I mean by that is there's a guy hanging on you, the game's on the line. That That is the catch that you dream about in the backyard, and he made it look easy. He is just such a dynamic player at his frame. He's a shifty guy with ability to kind of get north and south, which is you don't usually have both of those in an outside receiver, so he's been a pleasant surprise as far as kind of being a hybrid guy in that way. So I'm extremely excited to see how he continues to develop, and that's a huge, huge point from the coaching staff to start. A couple of plays, too, where he caught the little crossing routes, and I think he's got the ability to make even more yak and there was a third and long where he like lowered his shoulder, ran into the guy when if he could have cut, he could have gotten the first down. So those are plays too, Joe. Like you, you kind of have to play and see that on film, and then you're like, all right, it's it's good to run over somebody, but maybe next time we make a cut inside and get more yardage there. Yeah, and the first thing that happens is Coach Kirkpatrick calls you in and he's like, hey, <laughs> you need to get north south on that, and he'll call you down from the phone in the box, and. That's what you start to learn as an older player is, okay, maybe I don't need to make the crazy hit on the guy and get three yards. I could turn up, get eight yards, and avoid contact. And There's such an emphasis on being a grown man with the football, but sometimes you have to be a finesse guy and juke, jump cut, and get yourself a first down to extend a drive. So East Carolina, they opened the second half. Again, it was a 10-9 game at the time at Rice, and Unable to punch it in. I called for the big Josiah Hatfield play on the pregame. <laughs> you and did. And we got it. And we didn't get the touchdown, though. And it turned out that was a big tackle there at the uh, three-yard line or pushed out of bounds, whatever happened. Josiah was not able to get in. Great throw by Alex Flynn, by the way. He got drilled mm-hmm. as he threw that, put it on the money. First and goal from the three. ECU can't get it in there. And the play everybody talks about, fourth and goal from the one. And they go with the kind of the hurry up sneak. Flynn kind of bobbles the ball. We didn't see the Mason Garcia package there after seeing it against Gardner Webb. We did see it later in the game and he bobbled the snap. So I don't know. What did you make of that whole sequence? The play call coach Houston has said he still believes in going for it there, which I don't think anybody disagrees with. But um, were you a fan of the play call, the personnel there, or would you have liked to seen something different? Huge fan of the play call, not a huge fan of the personnel, and we'll get into that. And if it's fourth and one like that on your goal line, if you don't go for it, you're taking points when you need a touchdown and you want to kind of turn the game because on the other side of it, that's a 99-yard drive JT Daniels has to put together in order to even respond after you've pinned them that deep. So there's a chance you flip the field to get the ball back if you go for it there. So that's where that mindset comes from. I would love to see a Richard Pierce, a Walt Stribling, a Keziah Everett. You need some kind of large human being that God blessed with that kind of size behind Alex Flynn in a fullback role, shoving him into the end zone. And yeah, you're going to look and be like, well, isn't that illegal? It's only illegal if you get caught. And the first way you do it is you do it once, and then the second time if they tell you to stop, you stop. And if you don't get told to stop, you do it a third time. So I love the play call. We've got the size to do it. If you go Mason there, there's probably a good chance he falls into the end zone because of his height. But if you get a big, beefy dude behind him that can just kind of shove him into the end zone, you're a lot better off. Joe, you're finding your inner Peyton Manning after last <laughs> night, I feel like, with the uh, shoving the quarterback. The brotherly shove is well, alive I mean, and well. <laughs> the, yeah, the Eagles are doing it. So, I mean, clearly, and I assume the play is still legal in college. I mean, if it's yeah. legal in the NFL. You can't pull so, him. I believe you can push him. You can push him. So, I mean, Walsh dribbling, 
He's on the trip. Put him back there. I mean, Big why K. not use him? Big K because that, center of gravity is it, as low as it gets. It, I mean, it's a fair point. And two, like, and I get they're trying to rush to the line to do right. it, but Rice is ready for it. They know what's coming. So if you're gonna know, if the defense is gonna know what's coming, you need as much power and beef as possible. So why not go true jumbo? If you're, yeah, unless you're really trying to go quick, quick, quick and catch them off guard. But you know, I could have told you the minute Flynn looked to the sideline and went under center that it was coming. That, that right. was coming. Yeah, Jeremy and so Lewis, Rice knew it was coming. Jeremy and Lewis used to call it the meat package. Coach Scott used to call it silverback because it was Jarman and Zach Bird in that kind of formation. To you know, we called it diamond back then, and they'd shove it in. So I, I see no reason. If everybody knows it's coming and you're on a fourth down, there's no difference if you bring in a ton of jumbo personnel and go from the huddle and try and hurry up there to catch them off guard as opposed to sneaking up at a spread. I, I just There are different ways to get to that look anyway. I would have loved to see larger personnel. It's just two snaps for Mason, over 88 offensive snaps. And, again, when they did put him in, he bobbled the ball. And so – I don't know, you know, that kind of threw that, that second time inside the five off uh, off kilter, but they ended up scoring after the pass interference on Shane Calhoun anyways. But, you know, Mike Houston said last night they got to find more ways to get Mason Garcia involved. Even if he's not playing quarterback, you know, at the end of the day, he's a talented and he's a big, beefy dude. I mean, he's not yeah. even beefy. He's just, he's just like built. It's a specimen. Like, yeah, he's just a specimen. So, I mean, for me, you got to find more ways to get him involved. Javius Bond, I think, only had like something uh, like twenty something snaps, if that. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Javius Bond snaps. Let's see here. He had twenty four out of eighty eight snaps, and to me, that's just not enough, man. I mean, you're talking about a guy who basically played twenty five percent of the game, who's your most explosive offensive playmaker. And so I know they love Rajay, and I understand why, but I don't care if you got to put Javius in the slot. you got to get those guys involved more, and I just think that's something they're, they're not doing enough of right now. There's a lot of mouths to feed on that offensive side is the best way to kind of look at it because you've got inside receivers that should get touches. You've got outside receivers like Chase, who's emerging as a guy who should get his touches. And then you've got Bond and Harris, and you know what Harris can do and the kind of power run he has with what Coach Morridge wants the offensive line to block. But Bond is the home run hitter, so you've got a lot of mouths to feed right now and only one football. And that's what the bye week's going to be is, okay, what worked? What personnel should we stick with? Who should we lean away from getting primary touches? Who should stay in the primary touches? And that's what Coach Houston, I'm sure, today is going back and forth pacing in his office is, who should I target with the ball to start with? Which guy is supposed to be our go-to? And obviously, Joe, most offenses are designed to have one back on the field most of the time in the majority of plays. I mean, you can have two back sets. We talked about it. You can have some three back sets, oh. we've seen, uh, <laughs> on the uh, touchdown to Calhoun. Right. But, like, at some point, don't you just have to say, okay, if our best position offensively, which I feel like right now the best position is running back, you know, you got, especially when Marlon Gunn's healthy. To me, you got to find as many ways to get multiple of those guys on the field at the same time, and that means Javius Bond. Maybe you put him in the slot more if your slot receivers aren't producing like they need to. I don't. I'm not saying he's going to go out there and run a bunch of routes in the slot, but just give the defense a different look. They know they have to prepare for him. So, uh, what, what do you think about that? Just getting Javius either in the slot or just in, in the formation more, because 24 snaps out of 88 
for a guy who is averaging like 10 yards a touch, I mean, I just feel like that's that's not enough. That's really where you feel Latrell Scott's kind of void is his ability to be able to use players like Keaton and players like Brock Spaulding and then Maceo and Tyler Sneed and put them in the slot at undersized opportunities and give them a chance to get a mismatch. And I don't know if somebody on this staff has thought of that and tried to put in a different perspective or if they've accepted a different role for the offense and they don't see it going that way, but that's where the mismatches come. You can put Bond in the slot and all of a sudden he can play the F or the H or you can go with a 10 personnel set and bump him out and be in an empty set. And you have to get creative with guys like that because, I mean, don't reinvent the wheel, but you got to do a bunch of different stuff to get to the look you want to. And you can run the same play four times out of four different ways, and that's what you need to find a way to do with Bond. We saw Emmanuel Poku make his real ECU uh, debut. I mean, he had played in the previous game against Carter-Webb, but Right. I mean, he was out there with a game on the line in the fourth quarter, redshirt freshman walk-on, real first college snaps. And, look, I mean, he, he got beat on some plays, but I can't blame the kid. He's a, a redshirt freshman walk-on. We asked Coach Houston about him last night. He said three years ago he was just learning how to play football. He actually grew up playing soccer. Yeah. I guess he outgrew the sport at 6'6", 280. <laughs> you would think, right? But uh, what, do you, what did you make of – you know, him getting a shot there, Owen Murphy had to leave the game, I guess injury-related, so that kind of left him in a tough spot. But, you know, bright future for that kid, and I want to make that clear, but he also a tough spot for him there against a pretty good Rice defensive front. Yeah, you're baptized by fire against a, a DN who should get a shot at the league. I mean, he's – that edge rusher for Rice has great size, great speed, and great get-off, and we saw that, unfortunately, for Poku to be baptized by fire and – get your first snaps against an experienced guy like that is completely different than what you're seeing all week against a couple scout team guys or lower-level guys who are trying to make a name for themselves as well. And he held his own. There were a couple on the two-point conversion against Chase Sowell. He had good position, and he got back to his spot, and he didn't let the guy beat him on the edge, so Flynn had time to deliver a good ball. But at the end of the day, offensive line is a lot like air conditioning. You don't notice it until it's not working. And for him, unfortunately, you saw a couple plays where Flynn's trying to throw from his back, and that's not going to happen no matter what level you are or what kind of experience you have playing football before you get here. Yeah, and the pro football focus numbers show that uh, the lowest four graded players offensively were offensive linemen, which I think was a, an issue on Saturday. And again, Rice has a very good defensive front, and people don't maybe realize that. I thought the only area they – were clearly better than ECU across the board was their defensive front against ECU's offensive front and really dominated the line of scrimmage. All right, let's get our second break in. We'll come back. We will uh, continue on with some East Carolina football talk. We also got to get to our rank'em segment. We are going to talk about the start of the Major League Baseball playoffs, and we'll look at the college football landscape as a whole this weekend, and we'll look at the NFL landscape. A certain matchup, Broncos-Jets. Big rivalry game this coming weekend. We'll talk about that, and we'll rank what we're looking forward to most as we head into the weekend. All right, this is Hoist the Colors on a Tuesday. We'll be right back. What's happening, man? What's happening? Tell me. Every ECU fan's one stop for all things ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Okay, welcome back into the show on this Tuesday, October 3rd edition. Of Hoist the Colors, Joe Sampson's back in the studio. Philip Pilkington is producing here shortly. We're going to do 
our uh, rankum segment because, quite frankly, guys, I'm getting tired of <laughs> talking about East Carolina football. Like, I can't do it. I got to do it tomorrow with Bobby. I got to do it tomorrow or uh, Thursday with Mark Yellock. Hey, we got to do it again Friday. Which Friday we may just talk all. We may just preview Broncos Jets. Yeah, I think. It yeah, may I mean be, it's fun. Yeah, little little preview here. Even though it's not part of our ranking segment, I am going to rank the thing I'm most excited about coming up is listening to you two fight on Friday about Broncos <laughs> Jets. That's it. That's my number one right we there. We need a bell and a clock for segments. <laughs> I'll work on that. That's- that's completely fine with me because the Broncos are definitely winning this football game, which we'll get into more as they uh, they'll turn their season around. The Broncos are going to the playoffs. They're going to yeah, okay. pass the Jets to get there. <laughs> All time um, blunder we'll from see. Justin Fields, but okay. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a preview of Friday's show. Tune in noon Friday. Hoist the colors to hear Stephen Igo against Joseph Sampson in a fight about Broncos Jets. That's the bumper right there. It, it could be more entertaining than this East Carolina offense right now. It, uh, sorry, but it could be. Um, all right, speaking of that, let's hit on a few more things, and then we will transition. So I asked Mike Houston after the game, look, the rankings are bad. I mean, ECU is 100 and I think 29th in scoring offense right now, or either total offense. I don't know which one. I think it's actually total offense. And the scoring offense are a little higher because of the Gardner-Webb game and the defensive touchdowns of that. But the reality is the offense is not in a good spot. I asked Coach Houston after the game, do you look at making changes, kind of insinuating, do you make a change with the staff? And the vibe I got was, hey, we're going to look at everything. But talking to Coach Houston last night at his coach's show, he mentioned Coach Kirkpatrick, so it doesn't seem like there's going to be any OC change or play con change right now. So my question to you is, Joe, mm-hmm. Like, what can you realistically change midseason in a bye week? I mean, you can't overhaul philosophy. So is it more just tweaks at this point and personnel, kind of like you were saying last segment, like getting guys in different spots? You know, obviously you could you could go back to Mason. I don't know if that's the answer at quarterback or not, but is it more just personnel or can you can you really change things in the span of 12 days like ECU has right now? There's not a ton you can do to kind of create this – overnight overhaul that we're looking at that we're thinking is going to happen the hardest thing to do is i have to address the play calling here is there's nobody on the staff who has play calling experience in coach kirkpatrick's system and that's the end all be all i mean shay montgomery is probably the only other option that could have play calling experience on the staff but that's a completely different system so coach kirkpatrick calls some great games and he puts the position of each player in the best possible scenario, considering some of the looks they get. But you look at execution, you look at the seven drops. Did he call that bad of a game, considering what occurred and how it occurred? So over the bye week, you're going to go back and look at what concepts worked for you, the runs that worked for you, what looks gave defenses trouble, how you can get into this motion set and cause this kind of mismatch. And you don't go back to square one, but you do kind of go back to your roots, I guess is the best way to put it, because it's how's this base play look without this funky look to it? Does it get what we need it to get done? The other factor, too, is, Joe, like I feel like I know everybody is like, can you see one another game and all this stuff? And, I, you know, I understand that as part of being a fan, but. The defense is good enough, and the special teams right now are good enough to, if you make the offense even somewhat more improved, not great, but solid, you could win football games. Like, I mean, SMU is not an unwinnable game. EC will be an underdog. I mean, there's still three, four more wins on the schedule. And so, there, you know, 
to me, they're not that far away. Like, I know that it's a frustrating season, and but you could have beat Marshall if you just executed in the fourth quarter, and you, you could have won this game. So you could beat three and two right now. You just have no margin for error is the problem, and you're one and four. So I do feel like I know a lot of people are on Green Street Bridge and want to jump off, but, like, I'm still not willing to say that the season is over. And I know there are a lot of fans already in that path because of this loss to Rice, but it would have been one thing, Joe, for me if they would have gone to Rice and got blown out right. 50 to 10 and outgained by 300 yards. But they really dominated the game. They just didn't make the plays they needed to make, which to me is fixable to a certain degree. You lose a game by one touchdown. I mean, we're not talking about the game was lost in the second quarter. You're down 42 nothing. Like, okay, put the backups in. This is a team that fought till the very end, has shown fight till the very end, has been in several situations where you have a chance to kind of steal the game away late or put it away late, and that's what you do with a young team. You have to learn how to grow. You have to learn how to win games and how to hold on to wins, and that's what it's going to take. Uh, I wouldn't write this season off by any means. I mean, there's four or five very winnable games left on this schedule that at the end of the day all put you at the ultimate goal, which is to get a bowl game and play your 13th game. And that's what I think this team can do if they go on a run and decide to buy into, hey, we need to change some things. This is on us, not on anybody else, not on the outside noise. This is on us. We need to fix this. We need to be the ones who are the catalyst to change. And I hope it starts this week. Uh, A on YouTube, which I guess is a real name, uh, he says defense is great. Coach Earl has been doing phenomenal with the development of the defense. We kind of just touch on that. Robert Dedrick says hire Rich Rodriguez. <laughs> Half joking, but his system fits the type of personnel we traditionally get at EC- He says ECI. Uh, I guess he means ECU. I would love uh, to go to the East Carolina Institute. East Carolina Institute. Hey, add that to the Rich ESPN Rodriguez. list of monikers. Eastern Carolina well, what was it, Philip, okay. uh, that they called us on the broadcast two years ago on the uh, baseball one? Oh, I wish I could remember. It was something. It was I mean, something. Been so Eastern many. Carolina. Yeah, there's just so many monikers. The for, game has been played in Greenville, South Carolina, that's many true. times. And then what was the thing this year? It was like the first game. Greenview. 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 There you go. We had a game just in Greenview. Just add it to the list. Greenview, North Carolina, one of my favorite places. And uh, I'm actually just looking at ESPN guys for the SMU. Oh, please. And <laughs> for the SMU East Carolina game, guess what? AccuWeather live from Greenview, North Carolina. It'll be 71 degrees on Thursday, Power October five. 12th, which, which, by the way, could be pretty good weather. Hopefully that holds. Uh, SMU with a 77% chance to win the game, according to the Football Power Index over at ECU. Or at, there you go. I call it ESPN, ECU now. Uh, ECU has a 22% chance to win at ESPN's football power index, whatever that means. I don't know if that factors in the game being played in Greenview versus Greenville or not. All right, let's get to our rankum segment, guys. Let's have some fun. We'll talk plenty of ECU football. We'll continue to talk a lot of ECU football. And we're going to try to talk some ECU hoops later this week as well. But we got MLB playoffs starting today, and I'm going to run down kind of the slate for each, so that way we have a basis for making these picks. Our rank them segment will include basically just ranking what we're looking forward to most. And MLB playoffs start today. You've got the wild card round. Texas is going to play Tampa in the AL wild card. Toronto plays the Blue Jays in the wild card in the NL. you got the Diamondbacks at the Brewers, and you got the Marlins 
at the Phillies. That's kind of your wild card round. And then you'll have the divisional series actually start this weekend as well in the Saturday-Sunday range. And in college football, it's an interesting slate. Of course, we are off from Washington ECU, as is their bye week. You've got Oklahoma, Texas, LSU, Missouri. Washington State goes to UCLA. Alabama goes to A&M. Syracuse and UNC matchup. Kentucky, Georgia. Notre Dame, Louisville. Fresno State, Wyoming's a good matchup. Um, in the American, UTSA, Temple, North Texas, Navy, South Florida, UAB, UConn, and Rice in a game everybody's looking forward to. Absolutely. Tulsa, Tulsa, FAU. And then in the NFL, which I do not have pulled up. Let me see if I can pull that up real quick. All right. NFL-wise, you got you know kind of a traditional week, not a – not a great week, but at least you got some matchups. Uh, Jaguars, Bills, if the Jaguars could figure it out, could be interesting. Uh, Panthers are at the Lions. We talked about Jets, Broncos, Titans, Colts, Saints, Patriots, Ravens, Steelers. Keith Mitchell could be back. And Chiefs, Vikings on, on, uh, Sunday afternoon. It's not a great NFL slate. You do have Cowboys, 49ers on Sunday night, which could be a good one. So. I just said a lot of words there. I don't know if you guys listened or zoned out after a while, but let's start with ranking them. What are you least looking forward to among these three sports? And, hey, if, if you want to throw in NASCAR, if you're Phillip, <laughs> if you want to include uh, that as your third option, or golf or anything, feel free to do so. But I can tell you they aren't making my ranking. So we'll start with Joe. What are you least looking forward to? I'll tell you this group? one thing. I don't care about golf until April, and that's when Augusta happens. So until then, it's not even on my rank list. Uh, I guess the game I'm least excited for, I don't want to say the MLB in general, because I'm very excited for playoff baseball. I think it's the best part of the year for that league. So I have to say Blue Jays-Twins just does not excite me one bit. I probably hate both of those franchises the most out of the teams that made the playoffs. Um, I hate you for the Astros run steep, but I don't want to include them in a list because they're on a list all their own. So I guess that game would be my bottom tier. If I had to, besides the Jets-Broncos game, NFL this week would probably be three. College football's two because the Red River rivalry is still kicking alive and well. I wonder who's going to be the unsung hero this year that we are expecting. Maybe Arch Manning comes in in the second half like Caleb Williams did for Spencer Rattler all those years ago. Get something crazy there. Nothing screams college football like North Texas at Navy. Uh, that's just extremely exciting to watch such a high-powered offensive matchup. I can't believe I said that with a straight face. And then just baseball in general. I can't wait. So you're going baseball as your top? Oh, 100%. I'm, I'm baseball okay. through and through. Playoff baseball is the uh, is the best. And uh, let's go to Phillip, and then I'll, I'll give – my rankings, uh, Philip. What you gonna include NASCAR here? No, I won't. I, for the fairness of everybody, I'll, I'll make this. <laughs> so it's the playoffs, man. What are we it doing? Is, it is the playoffs. That's a playoffs. Playoffs. It's an elimination race. Playoffs. I might even go. I haven't decided yet. But uh, so my least favorite, my least excited is gonna be college football because my idiot friends are getting married on Saturday, so oh. I won't get to watch much college football. So that by default puts it at number three. Public service announcement: Do not plan a wedding. In the fall season, yeah. Unless Saturday. you're going to get married on like Tuesday afternoon or something when nobody's got anything. Before Tuesday night action starts, <laughs> that's cool. Um, so I'm going for college football last because, you know, anyways. 
uh, NFL two, and then got to put playoff baseball one for sure. Well, actually, I should say those are four, three, and two because number one is still Stephen Igo against Joey Football on Friday. <laughs> duking it out on Hoist the Colors. That's my number one. And then uh, MLB two, NFL three, college football four. So who do the Panthers got this week? The Lions. Yikes. We are going to get Gosh. wrecked. That's that's a bad Yeah. And we get the Dolphins next week, so they'll even put up more points. Oh, and six. Yeah, Without six. starting controversy here, Philip, do you guys, or as a fan, are you regretting not taking C.J. Stroud, or you think you're fine? Uh, I haven't watched enough Stroud to, to really. I think the jury's still out. I mean, one's played 14 quarters, one's played 12. That's fair. He's balling, though. Yeah, it's, he is. It's too early, but I'll say this, that that regret may start sinking in pretty soon if this continues. Yeah. If you're a Panthers fan. He's looking good over the middle. He just struggles to throw the ball outside. Anyways, yeah. I won't keep going because I know we still got to get a break in. So go Sorry. ahead, I Go, go Sorry. I go. Uh, I'm, I'm going playoff baseball, number one. As painful as it is that the Mariners did not make it, still love playoff baseball. Especially to me, wild card weekend is the best, or I guess wild card week. Because the margin for error is so thin. You know, a seven-game series is cool, but like a three-game series, even when it used to just be the solo game was the best. So um, I'm going MLB number one. NFL number two, just so I can uh, talk crap to Joe about the Jets (laughs) and how bad they are. We'll see. And college football number three. And uh, really looking forward to Texas OU. So that's how I rank them. All right, let's get our final break in, and uh, we'll come back. We'll talk more crap to Joe about the Jets and how they blew it on Sunday night and much more on the other side. The refs blew it. (laughs) We'll have that conversation and more. This is Hoisted Colors on a Tuesday. We'll be right back. Back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo. Okay, welcome back into the program. We are wrapping things up here on this Tuesday edition of the show. Usually we'd be having a Mike Houston press conference that we just went to and we record early on Tuesdays, but with this being the bye week, we went live today and we uh, knocked it out as normal and got through it despite another East Carolina loss. We got some post-practice availability coming up Wednesday with Coach Houston and the coordinators. That'll be it this week. And then next Monday is when the press conference will be. So we'll actually have a Monday show early on. And we'll be live again next Tuesday, Joe. And uh, Thursday game, it's always exciting to play a Thursday game national TV in new black uniforms. So yeah, are you excited about that? I, I'm excited about the new black uniforms. Playing on Thursday, though, i, I got to be honest, it sucks. Because the day you normally have to like recover from, if you don't come from the bye week. Coming from the bye week is fine. You've got enough rest. But when right. you go short week like that... Your Monday, okay, everything hurts, I need to get treatment, is gone. You're in full pads prepping for a 20-period practice where you were just beating the absolute dog mess out of one another, and you're still hurting from the game before. So Thursdays are terrible. Uh, It's great for content. It's great to give you the opportunity to play when you're non-Power 5 on national television like that. So I'm glad the conference does it, but also as a player, it is terrible. Well, Joe, I appreciate the time on today's program. And, uh, by the way, got a little teaser. Feeling pretty good about next Thursday's game. Not going to say what I'm feeling yet for a prediction, but got a good, got some good vibes going. I don't know what it is. A little is. bit of excitement. I think, I think the Pirates are going to surprise some people on national TV. So we'll see what happens. Uh, All right now. Well, we'll talk to you Friday, Joe. 
Broncos and Jets. We'll get more into that. We'll also have Philip back Friday. Tomorrow at 12 noon, we'll have Bobby Harwood join us. We'll talk to you then. This is Hoist the Colors. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com, on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. tailgate season and at moore's barbecue we have the perfect packages to meet your needs